it's summer. It is summer. And for a change, we've got the weather to back it up. Are you enjoying the, the hot weather? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people, it's a, it's a big yes. Some people, they're just not into the, the hot, and that's, that's fine. We're doing our best to keep the place cool for you. And I don't know about you, but I am starting to run out of things to do because we did it all in the first three days thinking that it wasn't going to last. The, the barbecues, the paddling pools, the, the water fights, we really should have paced ourselves as a family. And today, today we're starting off a, a new series and something about the summer with the holidays means that we just may have more time for, for leisure and, and relaxing. And for me... For me, that often means more time to, to read. And reading opens my eyes. I, I learn, I, I go on adventures. I am often surprised and, and, and challenged. It's often an emotional roller coaster ride when I'm, when I'm reading the, the stories and they, they get a hold of you and won't let you go until you reach the finish. Tales of the Unexpected. Tales of the Unexpected is the, the new series that we're running through the summer. And we want to tell stories, stories, Bible stories. The surprising, the, the challenging, the emotional, and so much more. Because these, these are stories about real people in real places at, at real times. And the theme that runs through all of these stories is the desire the desire from God, God, hard to believe if you're not a Christian, but go with me for now. The desire from God to communicate with us, to show us who he is. And starting today, we're going back. We're going back to the beginning. And the first ever story. And the start of the greatest ever story. And it has to be the most loved place in, in my Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And in the beginning, God. And I don't know, we're, we're almost scared to, to go there anymore for fear of the, the arguments about evolution and creation. And do we take it all literally or could it be more figurative? And with that, with those arguments, we can miss the point. And in the next 30 minutes, I want to show you, if you need to be shown, why this story, this tale of the unexpected must be told. In the beginning, God. But, and I need to say this, there is a point where our minds can't understand the secret things that belong only to God. And we must hold that, that desire to have all of our questions answered with the realisation that we're not God. We're human. Our understanding will always be limited. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, he said that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. We know enough. We know enough to follow. We know enough to have faith. We know enough to, to know God and be changed through that relationship. Are you with me? Want to 
take a look at this tale of the unexpected and go back, go back to when there was nothing, nothing that is apart from God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The first verse, the start of the, the greatest story ever told. Now, theologians and scientists, sociologists, creationists, evolutionists, anthropologists, all may argue different views when it comes to the Genesis story and how it does or doesn't fit with their theories. And there is scope. There is scope with the Bible to hold different views. But there are places where we must agree and defend what we believe to be true. And here in the the first line of the Bible, that is the case. In the beginning, God created. Because in that first line of of the story, God is made known and that there is one God. And he was there at the beginning. And in that first line, we're told that God created. And that, when we get hold of it, changes everything. There is one God and he is responsible for us. Then it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the thought of that, the the picture of that is supremely powerful. God is present by his Spirit. And there are a number of moments, moments in this story of creation that, that I want to zoom into. And this is one of them. This is one of them. I want us to know that it happened then. It happened then. But not only did it happen then, it still happens now. It happens now. The Spirit of God hovered. He was present then. And the Spirit of God hovers. He is present now. God is present. God is at work in his world. And we all, we all, whether we're Christians or not, we all benefit from his presence. In the New Testament, in Colossians 1 verse 17, it says, He, that is God, God is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I don't fully understand what that means, but I know enough, and it tells me that God isn't distant. He didn't create and then, and then set this universe into, into motion like a, a cosmic machine and then abandon us to our fate. And the earth isn't spinning around helpless. God is present. He is holding his creation together day to day, hour to hour, minute by minute. And that, for me, is the starting point. Is God at work in the world? Yes. Is God at work in people's lives? Yes. Do we have to have accepted Jesus before we can have a sense of God and that he is present? No. The starting point for all of us, the starting point for committing our lives to following Jesus is having a sense, having a sense that there is more to our existence that we're not the result of of a colossal celestial accident 
That there is a, a creator God who is present in his creation and is looking, is making himself known to you. And then, and then he begins to move. He begins to speak. This creator God begins creating bringing order out of the chaos, bringing beauty and and fullness out of the the emptiness. And that is because of who God is. It is what he does. He creates. He brings beauty and life. Moving on in the story, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. The first day. And the universe was was born. And there is a a pattern to this, a, a creative rhythm. It is almost a song, an anthem of creation that God speaks, even sings into being. And if we were to, to think of the, the most powerful person that, that we know, if we were to think of the most powerful person in the world, then when that person speaks, something happens. But it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to this, our God, who speaks. And light, and light comes into the darkness and then speaks again and waters separate to become sky and sea. And speaks again and land rises up as the, as the seas surround it. And speaks again and plants and trees push through the earth. Again and the stars and the, and the planets and a center to this universe bursts into flame. Again and there are fish. Again and there are animals. It is an incredible introduction to our God who speaks and creates. And that goes on through six days of speaking into being. And this is our God who we can know and wants to be known by us. Creation is the most extravagant calling card ever. Now, I've always been fascinated by creation and it it blows my mind, the immensity of this universe and the diversity of life on this planet that we live on. And I am sure you could, you could watch the National Geographic channel all of your life, reaching old age and still seeing something you've never seen before. And now I have an excuse. Not that we've got the National Geographic channel, but we have got CBeebies. And for me and Emily and Jay, my two children, the best and most exciting nature program is with Steve Backshaw. And it's called Deadly Sixty. Now, Steve, Steve, he is an action man. Steve, (laughs) you can see him on his quest to get as close as he can to the 60 most deadly animals in the world. It makes for great TV, especially when you're thinking, is he going to get his arm torn off? But I figure that if he's on CBeebies, that that doesn't happen for the sake of his (laughs) preschool viewers. And it may just be me, it may just be me, or it may be dads everywhere who are watching and thinking, Steve Backshaw, he works out. <laughs> with, those, 
with those muscles and I, I do feel a little inadequate watching it in front of my children but never mind never mind the point is the point is this creation is vast it is incredible mind-blown this this planet that we live on this universe stretched out before us and if we zoom in on this moment God spoke then and God speaks now into our lives Steve can go now <laughs> already feeling adequate enough God speaks. God speaks creative words, words that, that change us. And he speaks to us through the Bible, which at its most basic is God saying, this is who I am, so that you can know me. And when we do know him, when we do know God, he enjoys us talking to him. It's called prayer. And even more remarkable, he enjoys us listening out for him. And we can sense him in our lives, speaking back through the Bible, through other Christians, through clues that could only be God. Even occasionally, we may have a sense that we heard God's voice. God spoke back then. He spoke creation into being. He still speaks now, but we've got to be listening. We've got to be going after him. And those words that, that God speaks, they can change everything. He can speak creative words that release us from personal struggles. He can speak creative words that heal our bodies and our minds. He can speak creative words that bring grace and forgiveness. He can speak creative words that restore and bring relationships back together. God still speaks creative words if we're listening and going after him. Then there was the garden. The garden of Eden. But before we go there, I want us to cut from this and I want to introduce Luke Strickland to you. Not that he needs any introduction, you may have seen him recently in the hit musical Joseph, but that is just at weekends. He does have a, a real job and that is the reason for talking to him. See, I'm often challenged, challenged when looking at creation and the, the natural world, challenged about how well I personally look after it, or more to the point, how I am damaging it. Just to say, though, with this, I am a beginner. My lifestyle isn't particularly green. I don't chain myself to diggers, and I don't think Luke does either. We really don't fit that stereotype. And also, as a church, we don't have a, a set line on this. You will have your own view, but personally speaking, I know very little and I'm very poor at being environmentally friendly and I'm keen I'm keen to do better and to take advice off people who know more and I can trust their outlook and Luke Luke's the closest I could get to that so Luke if you want to give him some encouragement So you can join me in my library. <laughs> this is a direct representation of your office, isn't it? it With is. the, uh, <laughs> the Bible. The Bible, there. Bible yep. front and centre, yes. So that was quite an introduction, Luke. Thank you. Uh, we don't actually know what you do in your, in your job through the week, so tell us it's something good, about it's that. It's a good question. Um, 
It's quite different being up here. We're not hiding behind a guitar. <laughs> um, yeah, so on a kind of Monday to Friday, I'm an environmental consultant. Uh, so that means that I help uh, developers and architects and engineers and planners uh, enhance their designs and their ideas kind of with re in relation to the, to the environment. Uh, I've written some notes so I don't waffle. Um, I may still waffle. Um, so I'm, I'm involved in lots of different types of projects, from major bridges to hospitals, schools, um, residential developments, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm also involved sometimes writing kind of design guidance and legislation. Um, and I lead a team of uh, quite a, a diverse team of uh, engineers and scientists and ecologists and archaeologists. Um, and we, we work on projects all over the UK uh, and internationally as well. Um, and although I tend to get involved uh, in a wide range of environmental issues, um, one of the key areas of focus for me is, is the water environment, really. Sure. Um, and that's uh, whether, whether I'm talking about flood risk or water quality or drainage. Um, and that's a topic that I, I sometimes speak on around the place. So that's, that's my, uh, my nine to five. That's good. So you've got your nine to five there, and then you've got your, your time where you probably do further uh, studying that. So for you, what do you think are the, the big, the main environmental issues or crisis of our times? I think, I think this is a really, that's quite a big question and quite big a question. tough question. Yeah, um, yeah. You've I got 30 seconds 30 to seconds, answer. 30 seconds, yeah. <laughs> Ten, yeah. <laughs> it is important. Yeah. Uh, it's so important that you've got 28 seconds left. <laughs> um, I think, you know, we'd all, we'd all s probably say that often in the news and in the media, there's quite a negative picture painted of, of what's happening kind of with the environment. Um, and that can be quite scary, uh, and, f and, we, and we can feel quite, quite powerless. Um, but I, I don't really want to... I mean, there are some serious issues around, um, but I don't want this to be a really heavy thing. I think one issue is greed. Uh, the World Council of Churches have, have come up with a concept called the greed line. Now, we may all be familiar with the poverty line, with people living below the poverty line. Uh, the World Council of Churches have come up with this idea about the greed line, and is there... Are there parts of our culture where people are living above the greed line? Um, but that's not actually what I'm going to focus on either. But I'm just putting it out there. You can go and you can go and Google that. Um, I think I think a really big issue that we may face this century is about uh, water scarcity and water resources. Actually, um, water is essential to life, and yet increasingly it's something that might be fought over um, and controlled in different parts of uh, the world um, as population increases uh, and as we experience more drought. Really. Um, I think we're, I mean, we're all enjoying the lovely weather at the moment, but yeah. we'd probably cast our mind back to last year where that really um, demonstrates some of the volatility that we're, we're experiencing uh, in terms of climate. So if you remember in the news, there were, you know, for the first quarter of the year, there, were, there was drought and major issues on water resources. But then the, kind of the, the, the rest of the year, there was real issues with floods all around the place. And we seem to go from, you know, kind of a boom to bust kind of thing. Um, and I think one of the issues with climate change is that it's not evenly distributed. So it often affects um, the people that are, that are poorest, actually, and are most disadvantaged. Um, so, you know, particularly those people in poorer countries are where the most vulnerable kind of uh, industries and settlements and societies um, are those in coastal and river floodplains um, and, or those whose economies are, are linked with climate-sensitive resources. Um, and it's often in those areas that are more prone to extreme weather um, especially where there's kind of rapid urbanisation. So I think whole issues around water, I think we may find it kind of as the, as the century progresses, that could, be, that could be the headline. Sure, sure. So to me, when I, when I watch the news and see these environmental 
crisis around the world, it can all seem so big that for me personally in, in my life, uh, it's like, can I make a difference really? So getting very practical, uh, because it needs to be practical for me, what, say, three things could I do, could, could we do, that would, would make some sort of impact on the big picture? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. It really can seem like a massive issue, can't it? And we can feel like we're powerless. But I know that, you know, one of the messages we have as Christians is that, is that we matter. We matter to an infinite God, a creator God. Um, and we, we know that our actions make a difference. So, um, but to take a sports analogy, you know, we all, we, some of us would know about um, the, the phrase kind of the aggregation of marginal gains. So uh, this came to, came to the fore with, with Sir Clive Woodward and the, the England rugby team where he said, well, to make a 100% change, you change 100 things by 1%. Um, currently also being put to good effect by Team Sky in the Tour de France. Um, so a to- topical reference. Um, so we can, we can each make a difference. Um, I'm going to avoid talking about some really familiar things about like recycling or you know, the distance our food travels because I think that's something that's, that's been around and that people know about. Yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, the first thing, on a fundamental level, we perhaps need to just reconsider our relationship with our stuff um, and perhaps try and be less consumeristic and, and acquisitive. Now, there's no, there's no set line on that, mm. but I think perhaps that's just that's a really important thing for us to think about. Um, perhaps we need to be more cooperative and collaborative. I think that's a fantastic spiritual principle, actually about doing yeah. things together and not just doing things on our own. Um, you know, we think about kind of Amish farming cooperatives in the States. Um, they share their combine harvesters and their labor um, for everyone's good, which I think is a fantastic model. Mm. Um, so why don't we share our power tools? Do we all need to own every single power tool available, you know, on a practical level? <laughs> um, what about sharing our cars? What about sharing our skills? Um, so as well as cutting down mm. on stuff, I think there's a good spiritual principle, a positive message there as well. Um, Secondly, I mean, taking a bit of a water bias everywhere, I think it might be worth be- for us beginning to think about some of the, the water uh, footprint of our diets. Um, so the water footprint of our foods is, is only one, it's only part of the, uh, the environmental impact of our diet. So land use and fertilizer use and whether they're organic or chemical, um, how far and by what method your food has, has been shipped and social considerations, they're all they're all part of the environmental footprint of, of the things that we have, and, and in perhaps in particular our diet. Um, and so some practical things. Well, why don't we avoid drinking bottled water where it's safe to do so? So here in the UK, let's avoid drinking bottled water because for every litre of bottled water, about two litres of water are used in making the bottle. Uh, so sure. there's, there's quite a big footprint mm-hmm. there. Um, and likewise, some foods kind of disproportionately require more water resources than others. Um, so I'm not saying cut out everything, but just, to be, just for us to make sensible choices and, and practical choices. Um, meat and dairy in particular take up a huge water footprint. So for a pound of beef, you need something like between 2,500 and 5,000 gallons to produce a pound of beef, whereas for a lettuce, it's 15. So... Yeah, because that's to do with, that's land that you, know, you have to give over to sure. herds and you have to feed those herds, whereas you could just be planting things on there. So it's a, it's a big, that's quite a big thing. There's a lot to look into on that. So in a quick 30-second mm. sound bite. Yeah. Um, but if you, know, if you really want to reduce the water footprint of your food, then eating a diet where kind of fruits, vegetables, and grains form the vast majority of your calories uh, is clearly the way to go. Um, and it happens to be kind of healthier, cheaper, yeah. uh, and better for carbon emissions, which is another topic which I'm, I'm not touching on. Um, so pragmatically, why yeah. don't we think, well, let's eat, eat a bit less meat and a bit less chocolate, um, have tea instead of coffee, 
<laughs> drink less wine and maybe grow some of your own food. I know sure. growing some of your own food. Having a go. Um, what about regular fasting? I mean, that's a good spiritual principle, isn't it? Um, but if we're cutting down on our stuff, often cutting down on our own body mass is, is quite a focus for people. Um, and so finally, I think my, my, third, my third point is to, yeah, is yeah. to, is to get outdoors. Yeah. One, two, three. Um, yeah. um, and perhaps why don't we replace some of our regular vehicle travel with walking, running or cycling? I think that's all, that's all good stuff. I think, I, you know, you mentioned it earlier, it's really important that we connect with our environment. Um, and years ago, uh, I read a short story, which I think is by Arthur C. Clarke, but I haven't been able to verify that this week, I'm sorry. But it was about <laughs> a future society where they all live indoors. Um, and some parents are really worried about their child because he wants to go outdoors to the point where they've gone to see the doctor because they think this is abnormal. Um, and actually, there's a phrase that seems to come up a bit more these days about nature deficit... Net, blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> It's hard to say. Nature, <laughs> nature deficit disorder. So there's some Americans have written books about nature deficit disorder where they worry that children are growing up um, with a deficit of, of time in the great outdoors and just spending time on, on their computers, really. So, um, you know, and perhaps it doesn't seem too far off. It seems quite, quite familiar, this idea that we can become sure. disconnected. So I think for our own eyes uh, and our bodies and even our souls, let's spend less time on our screens and more time in the environment. I think that's a really good thing. Um, and don't just do this on your own, I think, as well. Let's involve others. It's a really good. collaborative thing. So, you know, meet somebody for a run or for a cycle. Go for a walk, play frisbee. Um, and I think, I think part of all of this is, a, again, there's a conscious choice just to slow down. I think our whole culture is really fast-paced and in-your-face instantaneous. But actually, sometimes, um, you know, to hear... To hear God in a different way, we really need to slow down and uh, and stop. Really, so good. those are my top three waffles. Very, very <laughs> good, very good. Some challenge there. I think particularly for the men who are thinking, I can't own every power tool now, and I've got to eat lettuce, not beef. <laughs> so, with with that in mind, the challenge of that in mind, what do you think uh, is the most compelling reason to actually make a difference and make changes in our lives? Well, something that's just come to me is that actually using hand tools is a lot cooler than power tools. So, um, but, I mean, I wouldn't want anybody to be motivated by guilt in this whole yeah, area sure. of, of kind of the environment. And I think often the messages um, and the kind of attitude that we can pick up on is, is a really guilt-motivated message. Um, and I don't want us, as Christians, we shouldn't be motivated by guilt, or, or at least not, not all of the time. Um, so I think from a Christian perspective, there's a few sayings of Jesus that I found, found really helpful that I'd just like to kind of um, hone in on. I think the first, the first one is Jesus' Jesus's command to love God and love your neighbour. Um, I've mentioned that it's often the poorest in our societies, and not just I'm not just talking about Africa and other other countries. There's even other, if I, in, bleh, sometimes my brain works faster than my mouth. <laughs> Does anybody else have that problem? <laughs> I think um, even in our own society, it's, it's often the poorest that are more, most affected um, by the effects of climate change. And, you know, one of Jesus' phrases was that, you know, if we give even a glass of water to somebody in his name, then, then we're doing that to him. Um, and so in a century where water scarcity might be a real issue, actually giving someone a glass of water, clean drinking water, has, takes on quite a profound, yeah. profound impact. So there's an element of, wow. of loving your neighbour. Um, the phrase going around about... Um, about water scarcity, about think global but drink local. Um, okay. And uh, you know, increasingly we're in, a, you know, they talk about a global village, don't they? Um, so Paul talks about you know, choosing not to eat meat if that's going to be a problem for somebody. And the context he's talking about is about clean and unclean foods. Sure. But perhaps there's an angle there as well that we can choose to be less reliant on resources that we know um, can only be gained through maybe exploitation or unfair extraction. So 
for instance, some of the rare earth elements in our gadgets, you know, our iPhones and things like that, some, they use a lot of quite um, rare minerals and metals, and some of those are mined in a really terrible way, you know, open-cast cobalt mining in, in Central Africa, where the local population don't really see any of the benefits of that. In fact, they experience all of the negative benefits of that. Um, so we can make choices to love our neighbour, even if our neighbours are minor in Africa. Sure. Um, and then finally, you know, Jesus says, as, as parents, we know how to give good gif- gifts to our children. He says, you know, you wouldn't, you know, if you're a father, you wouldn't give your child a snake. Um, Maybe if you're into the deadly 60, you might, <laughs> uh, and it works out. Um, but I think, you know, there's an element there about just good stewardship. Um, and this is often, you know, the thing we, we read about most in terms of a, a faith perspective on environment is about good stewardship. Sure. And I think just a, a helpful angle I've been thinking of that is maybe we can just see some of our good stewardship as an investment into our children and into yeah. our children's children. Um, so a lot of it is just it's about yeah. taking um, an inward focus and, and looking outward, really. And that would be my, my motivation to act. That's great. Thanks, Luke. Luke will be available afterwards for questions. <laughs> if you're anything like me, that will have been helpful. You will have learnt something and, and feel challenged to, to make a difference. And just to, to say again, we don't have a set line as a church, and the outworking for us may vary. We're going to have different views on this, but what we have got to do, I believe, is to nurture a love for people, to nurture a love for people, knowing that they are created by God and loved by God, and that for our children, whether our own or generationally speaking, for our children and our children's children, we can show our love for them by the choices that we make now when it comes to the environment because we are passing this planet on to them. And we've got to, I believe as well, nurture a love for nature. God gave us something beautiful, magnificent in diversity and detail and by being in nature, being interested and learning about it, our attitude can change if it needs to. See, we won't damage or waste or abuse what we love. Cutting back to the creation story, on the sixth day there were two creative acts. God spoke and living creatures were produced from the land and then he spoke again and said let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so we can picture it, this same creative act is repeated in the story. In Genesis 2, and it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And we may be close, we may be close, animals and humans. We were both created out of the dust of the earth and returned to it. But no matter how intelligent animals may appear, how close in form and function the apes may be, we humans are unique because it is only us who were created in the image of God. We are not some random DNA that got lucky in the gene pool. We were created in God's image, to have a unique relationship with him. 
God gave us personalities. We have minds to think with, emotions to, to feel with, and wills for making decisions. He also gave us an inner spiritual, an inner spiritual nature that enables us to know him. And we have the breath of God breathed into us. Incredible. Incredible. And if I think back to the moment when I was there, when a baby was born, and I saw it take its first breath, in that moment, I learned more about God, how, as a father, he breathes life into us than through all the days that I've been alive. And if we zoom into this moment, God breathed into us back then, and he still does now, the breath of life. And Jesus, who was and is God with us, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. God wants us to have life, and life to its fullest. And God is the creator and breather of life. And if we want that life, all we need to do is to ask him. And then there was evening and morning, the seventh day dawned. And what happened? What happened? Nothing. It says, thus, that's a good Bible word there, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. In my experience, most building projects come in over budget and over time. But God, God, trust him, he finished with one day left. And that is refreshing. Literally, a day off. A day of rest. And zooming in on that, God did it back then. He rested. And we still need to now. We need a day if we can, each week, where we can rest. Just think how many burnouts, breakdowns, and breakups could have been stopped if we had followed God's example and rested one in seven. And God, who is the only being who never needs to rest, laid it down as a must-have for us. And we should try. We should try to get back to God's understanding of rest. Because we can be so driven that some of us have forgotten how to rest. It has become only a, a memory of happier times. And again, Jesus, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We were created by God to be in relationship with him. And our inner being will always be restless until we are at rest in him. Now you need to go with me with what I say next, because I'm going to be vulnerable here, vulnerable. I like gardening. I like gardening. I realize it isn't the most macho of activities, but there are people on team who wear pink polo shirts and flip-flops, and I'm not that far off the male stereotype. And it was going well. It was going well. One, one Saturday morning, about two months ago, I, I woke up with the thought that I, I wanted to go out in the garden. Now, earning some money back when I was at college means that I, I know some things about plants. And I was out there, and I was happy. 
And the garden was getting done, so Rachel was happy, and B and Q were richer, and I went to bed, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And I woke up, and it had been raining, and where do they come from? I can't find them in the creation story. Slugs and snails, really nasty little creatures, leaving slime trailing behind them, and leaving leaves and, and flowers eaten back to the soil. And I was annoyed, and sorry if you're not a a gardener here, you wouldn't understand, but this was personal. (laughs) And it's hard. It's hard to believe in the beauty of the garden that there is a, a battlefield out there. But isn't that our world? Humans who are capable of the most beautiful acts of of loving and and self giving, then there is ugliness within us, each of us, which can lead to a a trail of bitterness and selfishness and and anger, even outright evil and death. There is a battlefield out there. And in the garden, the garden that God had planted called Eden, in the most subtle of ways, the first attack was coming. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then it came. Then it came. Evil was moving. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? We read it. We can picture it, the the first chance for man to choose God's way or his own. And if if we zoom in here, there is so much in this moment. You've got the serpent who, who represents evil. And you've got that question, did God really say? And doubt, doubt was, was creeping into the, the human mind. And that, our relationship, our relationship with God was, was slipping away. But don't make the mistake of thinking that doubt is the enemy of our faith in God. It isn't. Having doubts can, can lead us through questions to belief in God. It can cause us to get closer to him, strengthening our faith through the, the test of life. No, the enemy of our faith was represented by the snake. The enemy of our faith in God is the devil. And this choice, as subtle as it was, that happened back then, is a choice that happens now, every day, in our own lives. Man chose, man chose to to go his own way back then. He did what he wanted, not what God had asked of him. And we still do now. And we may look back on that first man and think, you set all of this evil loose. But we are given those same choices every day of our lives. Do we choose for God or against him? And how many times do we get it right or or wrong? A single decision played out countless times in our own lives. And there are questions, questions. Why did God allow this test to happen? in the first place and there are different answers but one thing is for sure God wanted humans he wanted us to love 
and obey him freely and willingly. Not because we were programmed like robots. And God took an incredible risk when he made humans in his own image and gave us the privilege of choice. And our God is a bold, he's a bold, risk-taking God who loves us so much that he would dare to give us the choice to love him back. And this isn't necessarily about committing some selfish, shameful acts. It is as simple as choosing to love God and follow his way or choosing to deny him and go our own way. But, and we can't leave it here without hearing this, that is not the end of the story. If we move out of the Old Testament, out of the creation story and into the the New Testament, there is another book that starts off in the beginning and continues this story. It comes in the book of John, which along with Matthew, Mark and, and Luke tells the story of Jesus. Jesus who was and is God with us. And it says, in the beginning was the word And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And he is there with the word, word. Jesus is called the word, the living word. Not just words on a page, but fully human, fully God. Flesh and blood. He lived with us. And God sent Jesus so that we could fully know what God is like. And he sent Jesus so that we could return, return to the God who loves us. Return to the garden with the beauty and the fullness of knowing him. God sending his own son was not exactly unexpected, but many missed it at the time and still do. And as I finish, I don't want us to miss the point of creation God, through his Holy Spirit, is at work. He is present. He still speaks creative words. He still breathes life into us. But we still choose to go our own way and not God's way. And with Jesus, we have the way, the truth, and the life. This tale of the unexpected is the greatest ever told it has eternal significance and we all need to all we need to do is believe in him and be back back into that relationship with God that we were created for I'm going to pray now as I finish and if the team want to come back If you want to stand, just stretch your legs. You've been listening, sitting down for a long time and it's warm. I want to pray. We've got one final song that we're going to sing. Let's close our eyes. God, you're present. God, you are present when you created this universe when you spoke into being and you're present now in this moment 
Lord, you don't remain distant and beyond, but you are up close and personal. And Lord, I pray for each of us that we would know that you created us for a relationship with you. And some of us, some of us are in that relationship. And maybe just to hear it again, to hear it again, will renew that. We'll speak a creative word into our lives where, Lord, we know that we know that we know that you are with us and you love us and that we're saved and we're going to spend our lives living for you and eternity with you. And Lord Jesus, there could be someone here who doesn't yet know you. And God, I pray that even in walking out into the created world, Lord, they would think on you. Lord, they would question. Lord, through their doubts, Lord, you would shine through light in the darkness and reveal yourself to them and they would start following you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for that moment in each of our lives where the lights go on and it can only be you, Jesus. I pray that in your name because it is you, Jesus, who saves us and leads us on. Amen.